Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, sports media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the executive producer and host, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with long-distance open-water swimmer and director, Luisa Moreno, with whom I worked on Jerry's Last Mission, a documentary about the fighter pilot who flew the last mission over Japan in World War II. She first met Jerry while training in the pool, and like everyone who hears his story, she was inspired. So much so, Luisa began documenting his life and created a beautiful and deeply moving film. It was a pleasure to collaborate with her, and I thought it'd be nice for you to hear her story about how a woman from Mexico decided to make a film about an American war hero. This is Enemies to Family with Luisa Moreno. It's a hobby, so I'm not there to win. Um, but, you know, I have, you know, improved my swimming and I, I was in the podium a couple of times. Um, I actually won um, an entry to the World Championship in Dubai. It was, it, it's this uh, event that I organized called uh, Ocean Man. And they're all over the world. Um, I've been going to the Ocean Man here in, in Cozumel. Uh, before the pandemic, I was going every year. And on one of those years, I like the best 10 swimmers of your category get are um, eligible to go to the World Championship. So I was selected to go. I didn't actually go to Dubai because there was a lot of things happened. So I didn't end up going, but I was selected. So so it's again, like it's not competitive. Like it's not, um, it's a hobby, but you know, these things happen where you get selected. <laughs> and, and how far do you swim? Um, it depends, but my, so far I've done mostly 10 Ks. Depending on the, on that day and how the ocean is, you can do, sometimes it's a little bit more like 12 or 15, even though the trajectory, if you go into a straight line, it's 10 Ks, but it can just be a little bit more depending on the, the uh, currents. I don't even know if I could run 10K right now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, my uh, goal is actually, my dream and something that will happen, evolve within the next years is I want to swim around Manhattan and the English Channel. You know, those are bigger ones. Those are much bigger ones. And that sport, the challenges, I mean, the ocean, the current, mm-hmm. you talk about going around Manhattan, those are rivers, so they're moving. Mm-hmm. What is the current like usually? You know, it really depends on the day. So that's why, like, let's say I've done 10Ks in two hours and 48 minutes, and I've done 10Ks in five hours. Just that's because the current, you never know, like the same ocean, the same route, uh, route can be very different from one day to the other. But, you know, sometimes the currents are really, really strong in the ocean, and sometimes it can be you know, smoother. So it really just depends. Uh, in Manhattan, some of it, parts of it are, you know, sort of help you. You're with the current sometimes, a part of the of that swim. Um, the English Channel is rough because of the weather conditions, so that one can be rougher. And is it something at that level, the the highest level? I have to imagine the stamina needed. How do you? I mean, do you go out in the ocean? Do you train in pools? All of the above? Right, so all of the above. Yeah, yeah. I when I first trained for my first 10k in the ocean, I actually started in the pool because I wasn't near the ocean, so I trained for you know, without, I wasn't swimming at that point. And I went from zero to swimming at 10 K in three months. And I have a fantastic coach. And so she basically, it was long. She, she didn't live in the same city I lived in, but she sent me the trainings and I, I trained in the pool. And then just a month before my 
my uh, event, I actually came to Cancun to swim in the ocean. But that is actually very important because it's another, it's just a completely different thing to swim in the ocean. So I do train in the ocean as much as I can. When I lived here, I would go two or three times a week to swim in the ocean. But otherwise, I, you know, now I'm in Mexico City, so I, I train, you know, I swim in the pool. And when you get in that water, it's got to be just so different than being in a pool you know, waves, are there people out there for safety, making sure everyone's okay? Right. So yeah, definitely. It's a different thing. Uh, if you're training like a, you know, everyday training, you, you, you like you go a co- uh, like um, parallel to the coast. Right. But if it's a, like an actual event, like you're doing your 10 K or however, whatever the distance, then definitely there are always kayaks and boats, um, so it's always, yeah, safety is really important. Otherwise you can't just go on your own like that. And there are animals in the ocean that don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had any moments with? I had, I've had a lot of them. I saw a baby shark in Cozumel. I wasn't scared. It, they're so beautiful. But people later told me like, weren't you scared? If there was a baby there, the mama should have been, you know, was there around it. But the, the sharks that are in Cozumel don't do anything to you know, humans. So there's, it's safe, but I've seen, you know, we've had, uh, I swam from Cancun to Isla Mujeres, which is an Island 10 K, you know, far, the distance is 10 K. And we, there were dolphins swimming with us at, at that point. I didn't see them because when you're swimming, you don't see a lot of, like, you don't have the bigger picture, but my trainer was in the boat and she was taking pictures of the, the dolphins swimming with us. I mean, yeah, I've seen turtles and, and, and all kinds of fish and it's really amazing. And so you grew up in Mexico. Mm-hmm. How, when did filmmaking become a part of your life? When did you decide you wanted to get into filmmaking? Just before university, I, um, I didn't really know what I wanted. I knew it, was, it would be something creative. And even from high school, I remember making a very strong choice of whatever I choose to do in my life, I am going to do something I love. Like, I, I was so clear on that. Like, it has to be fun. And I think it'll be creative and uh, I'll just love it. You know, I, that was something important to me. And then I think I, I studied media and communications. And I thought at that point that I wanted to do photography when I was studying and you, you know, when I was in university, you had like, I had like journalism and stuff that had to do with media and film and TV. And, um, and I, you know, I fell in one of the classes, I just fell in love with editing um, and it was really creative and I could tell stories and especially documentary. So it sort of just naturally evolved from there. Um, and then eventually I went to do a uh, graduate program in New York, uh, in New York City, uh, at the New York Film Academy. And it was specifically documentary filmmaking. And it, it just felt right, you know. I Just before starting that course, I just... I was so excited. I couldn't sleep. And there was just something, it's not like, I can't explain it logically. It was something that just really felt right. Yeah. So I just, I just knew that's what I wanted. I wanted to tell stories through, you know, film and yeah. What did you do to learn? What did you, where did you go? What did you study? Right. So in university, I studied media and communications. And actually my thesis was my first documentary. Uh, it was about meditation because I've been involved in, you know, practice meditation for a really long time since I was 15 and I'm 39 now. So that was sort of the beginning uh, of my training. But then because my either major was a bit vague, you could choose from so many different areas. So that's when um, I found that there was this graduate program in New York specifically for documentary 
uh, filmmaking. So that's when I moved there. And then after that, I finished my program. And you had, as a foreigner, you had one year where you could work in the US with a, it's called, um, I forget the name now, but like a special uh, visa, which allowed you to work. And I, um, long story short, I I was connected with uh, somebody from a good friend of mine, actually now, uh, Adam Pressman from the David Lynch Foundation. And they were looking for an editor who to do some, you know, some, some editing work. And I wanted to learn transcendental meditation, which is an, a technique I didn't know at that point. And so we did an exchange and they taught me to learn because the, the David Lynch Foundation is everything. Has, they, they, they bring transcendental meditation to uh, at risk population around the world. And um, but, you know, n- you know, everybody can learn, learn. And I knew that that's something I wanted to learn. So I would, you know, so I reached out to them and they, so I basically ended up editing for them in exchange for learning TM through them. And from there, uh, I've been working with them ever since. This was 2011. So um, it sort of just evolved from there. And it, it's just a wonderful collaboration. I absolutely love working with them. And it's creative and it's fun and it's meaningful. That was basically my training and then how it evolved to a career. And all of those things come together when you're in Iowa and you meet Jerry Yellen, Captain Jerry Yellen, as we know Mm him, Mm -hmm. um, which you've made a documentary, Jerry's Last Mission. Explain how, why you were there in Iowa and how you met Mm -hmm. Jerry and where. Right. So I was, uh, when I was living in New York, I was working for the David Lynch Foundation as a as a freelance, right, like a free uh, independent contractor, and but they wanted me to come on board full time. So after three years in New York, I moved to Fairfield, Iowa, because this is a it's a, a bubble inside Iowa, Fairfield, and it's the mecca for transcendental meditation. You know, it's a beautiful town with open hearted people, people who meditate, and uh, so the office was there where the David Lynch Foundation uh, created all the videos, the video production, and so when I was hired full-time and moved there and um, I at that point I had stopped I used to be a, a marathon runner and at that point I had stopped running and I was started picked up swimming and I was in the pool one day and I saw this man this older man who was running in the water and I, I saw him regularly there running in the water and one day I just finished my laps and I approached him and uh, he was <laughs> the most charming man and we clicked right away. He was in his 90s at that point, And he told me his story and I just fell in love with his story. And I was so inspired and I knew I wanted to tell it. And that's how the film really was, you know, started, how everything started. Tell us the story of Jerry. What, what caught you in when you first met him and heard his story? What stood out to you and made you think it was worth several years of work to right. make a documentary? Well, it was the humanity in the story. So uh, Jerry, Jerry's story is that when he was 18, he's from the US, right? So when he was 18, Pearl Harbor, uh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and out of hatred for the Japanese, he enlisted. He said, I'm going to become a fighter pilot and go kill Japanese. And that was, he, it was patriotism and hatred for the Japanese. He, he did that and he did 19 runs over Japan. And hated the Japanese all of his life, came back, you know, with PTSD and 
all of that suffering that that generation had. And at at that point, nobody talked about it. Nobody had a name for post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, he was just silent for decades and until he found uh, decades later, transcendental meditation, that's where he started to come back from to himself and started to feel like a human being again. But then the story even got even more inspiring when his youngest son, he, he got married and had four children and, 40 years after the war, his youngest son moved to Japan and fell in love with the daughter of a kamikaze pilot. And as Jerry was telling me the story, he said it with such love for Japan and the Japanese people because he loves his Japanese grandchildren. And he now he loved, you know, he loved Japan and Japan became his second home. And he was telling me how at the end of the day, we we're all human beings. And regardless of what we are told, and what we are taught, as he was taught when he was 18 years old, and about how horrible the Japanese were, he learned firsthand that that was not true, that, you know, he fell in love with them, and he saw a totally different side. And so that really inspired me, because even though I'm from Mexico, my, my country was never in war, but there is something so universal about, you know, to really think about what we think about other people, you know, and what, how we dehumanize other people, and that's such a dangerous place to go. And even like what's happening now uh, with the possible war, uh, Russia and Ukraine, you know, like it, there's such danger to, to talking about a group of people, however big or small, and dehumanizing them. So that just, I fell in love with the story and with him, we became good friends. And that really was the sort of the, the key for me that moved my heart to just, to, to create this film and, you know, and to stick with it for years. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really life-changing thing for me to have met him. Talk about the getting to, because it, it, it was a kamikaze pilot, but, but didn't fly a mission. So uh, he was alive, right. you know, and they became right. uh, connected through marriage. Uh, talk right. about the relationship uh, right. with Taro yes. and, and mm-hmm. Jerry. Right. So the story is uh, Taro, um, was Tarasan was uh, a trained kamikaze pilot, but he, he was sent to China. And so he didn't get to fly as a kamikaze pilot in the war. Um, and that was one of his regrets in life. Um, at first, he, was, he opposed the marriage uh, of his daughter to Jerry's son, Robert. And he, you know, he, de- he was totally opposed to it. And um, Two of his regrets in life were, one, that he didn't die for his emperor as a kamikaze pilot. And the second one was that he didn't get to kill Americans, American soldiers. And so, yeah, I mean, imagine that, having that background and then having your daughter want to marry, uh, you know, an American. And they finally meet at the wedding. Oh, because one of the things that happened was the reason why he did end up accepting was that Jerry was a fighter pilot and he flew a plane that is called a Mustang, Mustang airplane and a P-51 Mustang. For people who know about, the, you know, airplanes and flying and all this, that, that was a very impressive thing and that he was a fighter pilot and fought, fought uh, and flew P-51 Mustangs. And so when the kamikaze pilot found out about this, he was like, well, if, you know, if he was a fighter pilot and flew Mustang P-51 and survived, then that is a brave man. And I want the blood of that man to run through the, 
veins of my grandchildren. So that's how, you know, Jerry tells the story. And that's how, that's why he agreed to the marriage after a long time. And so they meet after the wedding in a bathhouse and they connect, they start talking with an interpreter and they connect as human beings and they realize how similar they are, uh, how much they share values of family and friendship. And, and they end up being really good friends and they become family really. Um, and they travel together and, and Jerry spoke so kindly and generous of him they, they really loved each other so what an incredible transformation for both of them uh, to really go from literal enemies to to friends and family yeah i mean in the film we obviously get to see jerry's transformation mm-hmm. and how he became not ex- not just accepting of the japanese culture and japanese speech but really embracing and having grandchildren that are japanese but, you know, I look at Taro and think he, he had the same distance to go, if not more, uh, right. potentially, because, as you mentioned, you know, he, he felt he didn't get his chance to truly fight for his country and give up his life, which is just, you know, for many Americans, sort of mind boggling to think what these kamikaze pilots did. But in talking to uh, the family and, and getting to know Robert, how big of a change was that for Taro? Because it, you know, he probably was pretty hardened, I would imagine, at that point in his life. Absolutely. And also, if you think about it, Jerry had his perspective when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. The whole country in the U.S., it was all about how and I mean, the propaganda that was happening back then towards the Japanese people. It was terrible. It was really racist and it was really harsh and, and, and hurtful um, because they received all these messages that Japanese people were evil and that they did all these atrocious things. But on the other side, you have uh, the Japanese people. And, you know, so there's, it's never black and white and wars are always messy and painful for, and for everybody and so Taro had his uh, ideas and what was being what was happening in Japan in terms of how they viewed the, 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 the people in the US so you're right like it, it, he also had to go a long way perhaps even more to to find that um, something within himself to agree to it you know it was definitely a long long shot for Jerry, you mentioned he found transcendental meditation. Talk to us about that point in his life, what was going on in his marriage, and then mm-hmm. how he found meditation. At least, you know, he found a tool mm-hmm. to, you know, get through really so much pain and so much um, darkness. What was going on in his life, and how did he find meditation? Well, um, he, as he says it in his words, it was, he was just not a human being. He was a killer. And, you know, he had all of this you know, story and life experience. And there was, he had at that point, no way of dealing with it. There were no, you know, therapists at that point. Nobody knew what post-traumatic stress was. And so he was really just not present. He wasn't present for his family as he, you know, he shares that he was just not present. Um, his wife was, Helene was suffering terribly from this and she stood by him, but it was really hard for her. And at one point she was the one that found transcendental meditation and she started meditating. And then his son, Stephen also started learning, but I mean, learned, but so Helene told Jerry about this and 
she, you know, she said, you know, it's, this could help you go learn, meditate. And Cherry learned without really knowing what was, what he was getting himself into, but that's when he found the relief. Um, Transcendental meditation is a very simple technique, but you go really deep and actually um, the David Lynch foundation brings TM to veterans because they have so much stress in their bodies and in their lives that TM just is a very, like on a physical level, it relieves the stress. And there are a lot of studies and it's measured with, you know, brain waves. And there's something about it that physically you're relieving stress. And so Jerry really saw the difference. And from then on, uh, he never stopped. And that really was what kept him going. And he had so much energy and he had so much hope for life and joy for life. And that really, you know, TM gave that to him. And in a way also, he, I mean, he started to come back to himself, have more joy in his life, uh, be more of a, well, um, you know, present for his family and loving. When you first reached out to me, uh, we were connected by a friend. And when I watched, you had already put together a, a rough cut of the film, which Thankfully, Jerry got to see uh, before he passed uh, in 2017. <laughs> but when he spoke to people, they were all they were truly moved by his story. Can you sort of explain what there was about Jerry? You know, he just had this um, magnetism, I guess. <laughs> but what did you witness while you were filming how he impacted others, especially when he was out? And he would speak to hundreds, if not thousands of people sometimes. Mm -hmm. Explain what you witnessed as you were filming. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, so I filmed him for the last three years of his life before he passed away. And what I saw was, you know, he was a very charming man. And I think one of the, his gifts was that he was, uh, he had so much joy. And it was, of course, what first drew me to him. He, he was, there was something about him that it was just wonderful to be with him and, and, and talk to him. And, you know, he was uh, one of the few people I've met in my life who he didn't complain. He, I never heard him complain about anything. He would just, if there was something that needed to be solving, he would, would, would find a solution and, and do it, you know? <laughs> so not even about, you know, at one point um, I would visit him in Florida when he moved there towards the end of his life. And one time he saw, I saw him with uh, shorts and, and I, saw, I thought, I asked him, Jerry, what's that on your leg? Because he had like different colored, you know, in his leg, the skin was with different colors. And he's like, oh, it's cancer. It's skin mm -hmm. cancer. But that's okay. Like, he's just like, he was just telling me how the weather was like, and I was like, does it hurt? Like, he's like, that's fine. And it's not that he was in pain and wouldn't say it. It's more like, I don't know. It's, it's in general, his approach to life. And of course, I mean, I'm not being in, I don't want to, come across insensitive to the people who have cancer. My dad just went through, you know, a big deal of cancer. So I know it, there are different, there, you know, stages and, and pain that people can be in. But this was just to give an example of how Jerry would sort of, you know, if there wasn't a solution, he would just not put attention on it. And if he had anything happening to him, he would find a solution and do it. You know, like he would just not stand still and suffer life, you know? And that, that was something that he would, really embody and he had so much joy and 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 just wanted to keep going and he loved connecting with people and so he came alive when he talked to people and so people just want, were drew to him were, were drawn to him 
um, they, I think it made people, he made people feel alive as well and joyful. You mentioned Helene, his wife, and, you know, they went through some real struggles um, mm-hmm. when Jerry was, was struggling with his PTSD and, and attempted suicides. How did their marriage change and what, what did she bring to Jerry uh, in his life? Well, one of, one of, I mean, a lot of many gifts, but one of them was TM really, because she learned, uh, he learned through her because of her. Um, also, the first time that Jerry went back to Japan after the war, which was decades after, he didn't want to go. But Helene really wanted to go. And because Jerry never talked about Japan or the war, she, I mean, the family knew that, of course, he had been to war and that horrible things had happened. Uh, but he didn't talk about it. So she didn't really have a way of knowing the, you know, the, the, the magnitude of what he had experienced. So she really wanted to go to Japan when there was a job offering for Jerry. And they ended up going because of her. And I think that was the beginning of his transformation. She was a really kind woman with a big heart and she really loved him. And after they both learned TM and Jerry started with uh, his transformation, they became closer and they would travel together and they, they were well, definitely much happier and closer because Jerry you know, wasn't going through the darkness that he did. You know? He was finally getting, being freed from that. So absolutely it impacted their relationship. It's so rare. And I think that's what, you know, when you first reached out, I think it's what drew me, I, you know, I, I, when you first reached out, I thought, I, I don't want to work on a film about a World War II veteran. You know, there's, there's been thousands made. Right. But this one stood out because, and, and when we showed the film to some test audiences, we had a veteran. Uh, we showed the film at a, a documentary class at the University of Texas, and there was a young veteran. I think he was in his late 20s. And he said, veterans need to see this film because we don't get to see happy endings. And Jerry, I think, is extraordinary. And maybe you can put this into context for how dark it was for him. And, you know, he shares in the film that he constantly thought about suicide Mm -hmm. and really struggled keeping jobs. They moved, I think, 25 times Mm -hmm. through the years. Um, When you saw that, is that what drew you to it? Was the the rarity of someone... Mm. Most people would just ride it out, you know, especially men in this country, in the U.S., you know, we're taught to suck it up, be tough, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself mentally, physically and spiritually is somehow not tough. I think I don't know how Mm -hmm. that got twisted, but, you know, put into context the rarity of what Jerry did and how much he changed. Yeah. Well, and you know what it is as well is that. Um, and also somebody who was sharing how the, the film impacted them. It was this woman whose grandfather had been in the war. And one thing that she mentioned was, I had never watched a film or hear a veteran talk with so much vulnerability and realness as mm. Jerry did. And precisely because they were taught to be tough and not talk about it and just, you know, shut up and shove it, which is one of the most dangerous and, and hurtful, thing, hurtful things you can do to yourself. But there was, they just, nobody knew what to do. So I understand that they just didn't know. They thought they were doing, you know, what was the best, the best for them. But Jerry, 
yeah, he had this vulnerability and this openness and he would be very real to what his experience had been to this darkness and what his mistakes were, you know, and in treating his children, uh, being absent, an absent father. And, you know, like I said, you know, couldn't hold a jo job and moved constantly and, and just, you know, not being a good husband, not being a good father and constantly thinking about suicide. But because he opened up um, to that, then when you see the transformation, it's like, wow, you know, he, you can really understand that him being such a joyful person is so meaningful because he, he had a crazy transformation, you know, like, and that's so inspiring uh, because, and it's so inspiring for veterans because they can see themselves in Jerry's suffering and, and, we, and, and be inspired by, oh, you know, things can be different. It's in the film where we see veterans, World War II veterans, Vietnam veterans, um, really be moved by him. But you were there filming. What did you witness because of his vulnerability, because of his honesty and the clear transformation? What, what did you witness in person with some of these older veterans, men who, mm. you know, aren't vulnerable, aren't, yeah. you know, they don't think it's okay to be vulnerable. What did you witness? Yeah. Well, and it's because they're not taught to be vulnerable. They, they're taught that being vulnerable is weak. Um, and so, you know, what I witnessed is that Jerry gave them permission to be vulnerable because they felt safe with Jerry. They felt safe and seen and it was okay to be falling apart and it was okay to be having thoughts of suicide because Jerry was so open. And so it was like he was giving them permission and what a huge gift, you know, because then if you're vulnerable and you're real about what's going on, then you can do something about it or consider options or possibilities or you can consider way out you know um and so that that's just a huge huge impact yeah he opened the space exactly to allow for that what a what exactly. a beautiful thing he I didn't, I didn't even really sort of considered that but mm -hmm. you know it's one thing for you know someone in the psychological field or the medical field to mm -hmm say to a veteran, you know, share your, it's okay. Right. You're in a safe space. Right. And that may work, but to get it from another veteran, someone who right. has been there, it's just a whole different, it's a whole different realm, I would imagine. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the key things, you know, and especially when um, they're, they're hearing from a veteran who had already transformed his life and is living in so much joy. And it is a totally different story when they're, receiving this from a, from another veteran absolutely and the space is being held by another veteran yeah I, I really it's it's seared into my memory the veteran that watched the film at the university of texas um he stood up and shared how important it was this story for veterans to see yeah. and he was very emotional he was very moved by it and i i just remember thinking what and and jerry had you know, he'd been gone for two years at that point, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he was still through your film and through his story. He had such a huge impact on this young veteran. It was incredibly moving yeah. to watch yeah. this young man yeah. who clearly, you know, was carrying his own darkness around. And yeah. in the hour yeah. of watching that film, it's like some light came in and he was yeah. able to 
really connect with Jerry. Like I said, even though he'd been gone right. two years, yeah. it was really a beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The film has been out for a while now. What, um, what has the, you know, we've shared it with a lot of people. We, we had our own little Jerry fest we had and we shared it mm-hmm. with, and the David Lynch foundation was really uh, gracious and, and hosted a, a, a screening and a, a, a virtual Q and a, and, but what has your experience been and the feedback been about the film? I've had, I've had really fantastic feedback and I've, we have people that write that, you know, that we don't know and that are so touched and moved. And so, so many people write because they have their own experience with either their grandfather or, you know, great, you know, or uncle or great uncle or, you know, somebody in their family. Um, this is especially people in the U.S. Uh, that in some way were, was, you know, were touched by World War II and the impact that that had. And so the people are very moved, especially because they see another, it's another view of the war and the, the possibility of healing. Even though, you know, somebody told me like, you know, I have my grandfather, but he never spoke of it and he's still alive. And I hope I could, you know, share the film and, and even, talk, you know, maybe this could be, open up a, a dialogue about it. And, you know, it's like all these little gifts of, of feedback. And it's so interesting because people are touched by the film in so many different ways because of their own stories. Uh, but it's, the, the feedback has been absolutely beautiful and people have really been touched and inspired and people are inspired by different parts of the film even. But it, it's beautiful because Jerry really comes through and his... His joy really comes through, even though, you know, parts of the film are his, the darkness that he went through, but it really is all about where he, how he, you know, the end of his life and how well his life, uh, how well his life, lived his life was, you know, because of, because of the opportunities he had and the resources to, to really consciously change it and heal it. This sort of struck me after we were done with the film, a woman from Mexico chooses to make an American war hero <laughs> documentary. And I did uh, you know, a little bit of research. I'm not even sure a woman has made a documentary about a World War II veteran. I think it's probably been all mm-hmm. men who've made that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have, have you seen the uniqueness in that, the connection between <laughs> you and Cherry and you know, from such mm-hmm. different worlds and places yeah. Um, have you seen that connection? Have you felt that connection? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that, again, it's like these two people that have, well, nothing in common with each other except transcendental meditation because we all both meditate it. But it's this, again, this universality where I was inspired by him, by his joy of life, by how, how he lived his life every day. And he ran in the water every day. And then when he could, he played golf as much as he could. And, and I was there in the swimming pool every day. And so we would see each other there. But that, that universality of it's here's these two people. And I tend to have a lot of joy in my life as well. So I think that we've made a click there. And we would hang out and we go, would go out for lunch and I would go visit him at home. And it, yeah, it's like this. I would, Back then I was 30. When I started the film, I was maybe 32, 33, um, and Jerry was 91 when I met him. And yeah, you could say like, you have nothing in common, but <laughs> there was something so beautiful about our friendship. And yeah, I mean, it's, you couldn't have planned that, you know? Um, but I think it was just that I, I, Jerry inspired me. So it was really just 
a thrill to be around him. Well, your appreciation and love for him comes through in the mm-hmm. film. It is quite beautiful. It doesn't shy away from the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it plums the depths of his despair, which was very uh, profound for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we found transcendental meditation in the 80s or mm-hmm. late 70s. And, you know, the, the war was over in 45. So um, mm-hmm. it really is a terrific snapshot of what this man went through. So congratulations. It's just a, a wonderful, wonderful film. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. You're welcome, Louisa. And thank you for asking me to be a part of this special film. Please watch Jerry's Last Mission. It's now available to rent or buy on Apple, and I promise you will be moved. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media, Twitter at Let's Huddle With, on Facebook, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham, and on Instagram, Let's underscore Huddle underscore With underscore Ed. If you want to come right to the source, the show's webpage, go to Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, scroll through their impressive lineup, Search up Let's Huddle to get to our show's homepage. Reach out, let us know what you think, any corrections, clarifications, or stories and people you'd like to hear about and from. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated and is edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, producers Alex Tosopoulos, Joe DeLeon, and Josh Fisher. Audio engineers Carter, Connor Haynes, and Cam Rogers help out with the marketing. And my first contact at Team Believe, Bron Husenstam, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.